Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Our goal at Jew in the City is not just to show um, the side of the Orthodox community that the media rarely depicts, because usually the media depicts worse of the community. Our, our goal at uh, Jew in the City is also to show all the room and all the space there is for self um, within the boundaries of halacha, since oftentimes people outside the community and most unfortunately, we've discovered people inside the community see halacha as something to limit your life, to show that there's so much room within those boundaries and that those laws are not here to hold us back, but actually to add value to our lives, to make our lives meaningful, to make our lives inspired. Um, and so, you know, the best way to show this to people is to, you know, offer constant examples of people who are accomplishing so much and involved in the variety of professions and hobbies and interests within the boundaries of halacha, and to show how these people um, not only have room to accomplish these things, but also how they find uh, the addition of Torah and mitzvot in their lives to be, you know, something positive, something that um, adds to the, you know, self-exploration or self-actualization, um, and. We do this with our all-stars every year. Uh, we have you know, different people that we profile. Um, we actually had a ping-pong table tennis all-star a few years ago, um, but we've never spoken to a, a tennis player, um, professional tennis player, until today. Um, and we're so excited to uh, introduce you to a man named Yosef Gershon, who was a pro tennis player, um, became observant, um, took a break from tennis and is now re-entering the world of tennis um, while as being an Orthodox Jew. Um, so we're super excited to hear his story. Yosef, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Allison. I'm grateful to be here, and I appreciate uh, the introduction. Yeah, sure, pleasure. So um, I guess sort of start us off with where did you grow up and when and how did you get into tennis? I grew up in New York, Queens. And my father, he wanted us from an early age, my sister and myself, to train tennis. So I began playing tennis at the age of three. Wow. You could barely hold a racket at that size, right? Well, <laughs> you know, the truth is, um, I was still in diapers. So, yeah, it was very early. And I have home videos. Sometimes I look at it, and it's pretty amazing, you know. 27 years ago, started this sport and still going at it. So, very excited. So, um, okay, you obviously started younger than most people, so you did have an advantage. But at a certain point, um, did someone realize, like, hey, this kid is really good. He's not just starting young, but he's got some natural talent. Like, when and how did that happen? Yeah, so my dad, he was our coach for most of the years until we moved to an academy in Boca Raton, Florida, the Ever Tennis Academy. And there we started to get more exposure, meeting world-renowned coaches and top junior players in the country. And that's about, about that time is when we started collaborating with different fitness trainers and other coaches and really trying to, to make a breakthrough in the, in the junior circuit. So how, how old is the junior circuit? So it starts, well, for me, it started at uh, 12 and under, and then 
the 14 and under is when I really started to make my mark. I started winning tournaments, and at one point I had a record of 18 and 2, and that was uh, my accomplishment, you know, going into the 14 and unders in Florida. And you turned pro at a certain point, so um, when and how do you transition from being um, an excellent, I guess, amateur tennis player to a pro tennis player? The transition was, it was pretty easy. There's a tournament circuit, they're called future events, and essentially anyone can participate in the qualifying round. It's just a matter of going up and signing up. And it was really more of the commitment level of adapting the, the mindset and the attitude of now I'm going to pursue this as a professional career as opposed to as a, as a hobby or even as something I would do, like you were saying, as an amateur. So it really was more about the training and the lifestyle that, that changed and the transition of, you know, I stopped working uh, nine to five and I just committed myself full-time, you know, four to five hours a day of training um, tennis and doing the fitness and accepting a different diet. And then the tournaments, they, they followed. And that's, um, that's really how I transitioned. Was, was, you know, from that point on, I would say that by the age of 21, I made that commitment and, and, and started making the changes in, in my lifestyle. And how long did you pro, uh, play pro tennis for? I competed uh, for two to three years on and off, mm -hmm. and um, really my climax was uh, six years ago. I um, I beat the, eight, the number eighteen player in the world, former eighteen number uh, former number eighteen player in the world, Vince Spadia. I played him in a challenge match, and at that time I I, I felt ready that you know all my work had had, had reached uh, had reached a point where I was ready to go and play the bigger events. So I played two to three years in, in the future events, and I was never able to to really progress into the challenger events and the higher level tournaments because at that point in my life, as um, as uh, I hope to explain, I became observant suddenly and decided to kind of put my rackets away for a while. Okay, so just for um, an amateur person like myself and probably many of our listeners, um, you know, I play tennis here and there. I was actually the JV tennis captain in high school, although I was voted as the captain as a joke. So um, I am not the best athlete, but I did play some. Um, I know of like Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. So if you beat the 18th in the world, like what level of like who? What, what level of like sort of top ranked um, tennis players go to Wimbledon and U.S. Open? How many do they take? So the, the the players that compete in the in the main draw of the Grand Slams, um, as you say, the U.S. Open and Wimbledon and the other ones, they are usually in the top hundred. They go into the main draw. So a top twenty player or number eighteen player, you know, these are the guys that usually advance to the quarterfinals and sometimes further. Uh, in this case, Jim Spadia, he he had wins over Roger Federer and. Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras, which, um, you know, these, these, these guys are the champions of the sport. So at that level, it's really on a, on a good day, they can, they can, you know, they can really beat anybody.
Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were like not quite up to it, but you were getting close to that point of competing in these top tournaments. Right, I was I was right there on the threshold, and um, and that's when I stopped. Okay, so now we need to switch gears and talk about what was your Jewish upbringing like um, as a child, and then I guess it sounds like around 23 or so you decided to become more observant. So if you could take us through that journey. I grew up in a secular household. We would go to shul once every couple of years, perhaps on Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah. And yeah, there was not there was not really any Jewish, you know, observance in my house. Uh, although my father is from Israel, and we did have a connection to the country, but as far as any spirituality or any type of, you know, following halakha, there was really, you know, close to zero. And can I ask, did you have any stereotypes about the religious community or any ideas about it? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you well. Did you have any stereotypes about the religious community? I know you weren't part of it, but did you see anyone from afar who you had negative ideas about? I grew up not being religious, but sort of seeing the religious community from afar and having a lot of negative ideas about them. Uh, Well, really, my perspective... um on the religious community, I, the encounters I had with rabbis, you know, the ones that were far and few between, it was really positive. Mm-hmm. I always felt drawn to to the religious culture, and I just always sensed that there was something there, you know, a certain type of serenity and a certain type of, you know, peace of mind that the rabbis, they had this look in their eyes. I always remember growing up, I was, I was kind of, you know, be curious. Why, why did they have a seemingly different look in their eyes of, you know, type of joy and, and, and whatnot. So I have to be honest, I didn't, I didn't really have any negative stereotypes growing up. I had more of an attraction. That's good. Not everyone has to be negative like me. Um, so if you, can, uh, if you can let us know, like, when, why, how did you make this uh, change to a more observant life? So in 2011, uh, my neighbor, Amira Benjamini in, in Los Angeles, invited my father and I to the Young Father Community Center, um, which is led by Rabbi Ishai Gabai. And I took him up on his offer. I went there for one Shabbos. And my whole life I had really the willingness to, to connect to God and to live a more spiritual life. I just never had the tools to do so. And once I went to Shul and started keeping some of the halachas, specifically putting on tefillin and trying to observe Shabbos, I, I came to, to realize that these are my tools to, to, you know, take it to the next step and really to make that connection. And once once I felt that, I really said to myself, okay, I'm going to commit myself now to really strengthening this connection that, um, that I developed at such an, a late age. And so, did you, um, like, study in Israel formally? Did you go to yeshiva, or you kind of just learned um, while you were in the States? So, I moved back to Florida. I went to uh, yeshiva Miami, or yeshiva in North Miami Beach, uh, 
it was a, it's a very small yeshiva uh, for about two of us, and I learned there full time for approximately two and a half years, and um, that was really when I became very very seriously, you know, involved in in learning Torah and and becoming uh, more firm. Now, I understand that you wanted to get some learning under your belt. I, I did as well. I went in the middle of college. Was there something about uh, pro tennis that made you realize or made you think that you couldn't do both at the same time? Like, at what point um, did you say, I need to make a break? Was it just supposed to be temporary? Like, take us through what that looked like when observance and tennis seemed to possibly conflict with one another. Great question. So, for me personally, from my experience, I I felt that in order to you know make that transition from my my past lifestyle into more observant lifestyle, and specifically with my personality, I felt that I really wanted to, to commit to learning, and it just wasn't really in the schedule, you know, much time to devote to, to playing tennis or doing other activities. So, yeah, it was, it was really more of a question, you know, what's more important to me at this moment in my life? And at that part of my journey, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a, a clear enough thinking and, and really enough focus to do both at the same time. So I, I felt that I had to make a choice at that time, and I did choose to, to be you know, uh, sort of enthralled and uh, put myself fully into the learning as opposed to doing both at the same time. I think it was more of a, a personal limitation that I put on myself. No, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and not every Balchuva has the opportunity to stop and do full-time learning, but for anyone that can, um, I felt like it was so important to take that time and make sure that First of all, I got my pronunciations correct um, because I didn't want to, for the rest of my life, stick out and be like a huge sign in my head, Baljuva, um, and to understand the difference of opinions that exist um, and to understand the reason behind the observances. So um, I spent a year learning in Israel. I went back again after I was married to learn a little bit more. So I'm a big fan of that. All right, so you sat for two and a half years and learned, and then... Um, when and why did you decide it's time to pick up the racket again? At a certain point, I felt like I was living the way I wanted to, and I just began to think about you know all the other people out there that possibly had the, the same upbringing as I did, or were in the same situation that I was previously, and there's something inside of me that that kind of clicked, and I and I saw that this is the time now to try and carry the message to others that you can do both. You can do both. And, you know, although I didn't do both while I was in yeshiva, I feel that my healthiest, you know, level of, of observance was more towards the end of learning where I would go out on my lunch break with my tennis basket and my racket, and I would ride my bicycle to the tennis court, and I would just practice. I would just practice by myself. And... Those are the times where I felt really most spiritual, and I would go back to learning with with a much better feeling. You know that I exercised and I let out some energy, and I, and, and then I started to feel that I'm doing, 
you know, not only what I believe in and my faith, but also what I love to do as an individual. And um, I decided to, to pick it up again. So let's talk about this. Um, I think it's such an important point that you're touching on right now. Um, I'm a big believer that um, sort of expressing yourself as an individual is completely part of, you know, a Torah lifestyle and what Hashem intends of us. Um, and every community has its problems and shortcomings. We've come across a Jew in the city, people that were raised in some of the most insular parts of the Orthodox world, where sort of their mm-hmm. sense of self or self-expression was essentially cut off. Um, and I think something gets lost there. And it does work for some people, but for the ones that are contacting us, um, they are so suffocated um, and really can't survive there anymore and are considering giving up Judaism altogether. And we try to show them, like, you know, there's so much of yourself that you can express. So is there anything more, like, did you ever learn anything about that or it's more just a feeling? Because I think it's so right and so healthy to say, you know, doing what I love um, is, is part of my spirituality. And any sort of further thoughts to elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Amazing points you make. Um, yeah, I have support and encouragement uh, for my belief to incorporate my tennis and my religion together from not only from my rabbis and from, you know, my family and friends, but from the, the spiritual reading and material itself. I would always find reading to support and material to support that, you know, God... He wants his, his will to be done, you know, all, in all aspects of life. Um, and for me, that meant trying to bring, you know, God's will down to the, to the tennis court. And at first, it seemed like something impossible, something so, you know, far-fetched. How can you make something so mundane and physical like playing tennis, you know, any, bring any type of spirituality into it? But, again, that was just my limitation because, you know, a lot of the Torah that I learned, it was teaching me that, you know, God gave us our talents not to, you know, abandon them, but to use them and to incorporate, you know, halakha and to incorporate, you know, God's will into what we're talented with. And that way we can really, you know, use it to inspire others and ultimately just bring people together. You know, when people, I think, feel that you're doing something you love, it just attracts people, in my opinion. Totally. I love it. Um, So, and I feel like we need to just say this again and again for anyone that's missed it, because there's people inside the Orthodox world and outside the Orthodox world that think it has to be one or the other, and there's so much to do at the same time. Um, I know you said that you self-limited, but let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Are there not tournaments that are happening on Shabbos? I'm saying you're going to have to now face this stuff. What what will happen um, if there are matches to play on Shabbos? How do you how do you navigate such a thing? Mm, great question. So that's that is a question, and it took me a long time to deliberate whether or not I was willing to commit to competing again, knowing that. I could never play tournament on Shabbos. And I came to the conclusion that my, my main goal is to, is obviously to, to compete and do well, but my main goal is really to, to compete in a certain way and, and to convey and carry a message, you know, throughout my career. And I came to realize that 
not being able to play on Shabbos, which would be considered by most as limitation, I see it as an asset. It gives me the tool to to not only rest on Shabbos, but to 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 incorporate my message in a real way. Because by not playing on Shabbos, I think I'm able to to show you know the young generation that I'm doing I'm doing what I have to from a religious perspective, and at the same time. I'm able to do, I'm capable of doing what I want to do, you know, in my tennis career. And not only is one not taking from the other, but I think, I believe that they're both complementing each other. You know, the the observance giving more meaning to, to my tennis, and the tennis giving more of an emotional and, you know, physical and mental uh, health to, to my Torah learning and, and also to, you know, my life in general. Do you know, have there ever been any other observant tennis players? Because I know that there's been a couple professional boxers that are from and, you know, some um, basketball players that are high-level orthodox. Do you know if anyone else has ever done this in the tennis space? I've, I've never seen anyone. I've looked it up. Um, I've never come across a, a professional uh, religious tennis player. So and I'm hoping to uh, be the first. Tennis. Did you ever connect with the, the ping pong uh, t- Temple Tennis uh, star, S.D. Ackerman? Oh, uh, <laughs> I saw her, saw her videos, and um, I read up on her, and truly inspiring. She inspired me to uh, to continue, you know, pledging on. Um, I've never met her in person. It would certainly be, uh, you know, amazing to, to see her continue. It's just truly inspiring. So she actually um, tried out for the Olympics the last time. She didn't make it, and she actually had to sit out. Um, one of the tournaments was on Shabbos, so she sat out. Um, but we could totally oh. make that intro, so let's uh, keep on talking afterwards. Yeah. Um, and what about, I feel like <laughs> a, a lot of, um, I'm seeing a lot of sort of similarity with uh, you and Tamir Goodman. He was the first um, pro basketball player to not play on Shabbos. Did you ever connect with him? Um, no, I haven't. I, um, you know, I haven't really reached out to, to many people, um, mainly because, you know, I wanted to really develop myself before, uh, before I go out there and make sure I'm in the right, you know, mental space and, and, and committed. Um, cause I do, I do plan on going, uh, doing this 100%. So I, I never, I never spoke to, uh, any of these people. Okay, well, um, there's not that many of them in the space, but we are basically talked with nearly all of them. So um, I think, um, you know, it's definitely good for Chizik to talk to other uh, religious Jews that are in the space. And um, we are just have a couple of minutes left, but um, I guess if you could just share with us some closing thoughts, um, if there are any listeners out there who are um, observant tennis players right now who might have dreams of going pro, or any listeners out there that are excellent players that are not terribly observant but are thinking of going observant, um, do you have any advice for them about, I know you're still trying to figure this out yourself a little bit, but any <laughs> advice on you know, how to make that balance? Yeah, my first uh, bit of advice to them would be continue playing and, and remember, you know, it's not, it's not only the way that we compete, it's, it's uh, you know, whether we win or lose, it's, it's really about, from my, from my experience, 
you know, being joyful and uh, and and really remembering that you know the sport was made to 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 live a healthy lifestyle and um, to be to be happy and to release you know any type of uh, you know stress or type of you know those feelings that hold us back from uh, from connecting you know to God and um, I would just encourage them and tell them that there's going to be a lot of people that you know might try to discourage them and tell them you know it's not really you know the best way to to serve God and uh, if they run into these people I wouldn't get discouraged because um, I think that you know being healthy is number one you know it's number one I think like it says in the Kabbalah that you know small uh, small hole in the body is a big hole in the soul and I always remember that when I'm out playing you know and training that I'm, I'm doing what I love, I'm, I'm feeling joyful, and just like, you know, a small example, I like to play tennis every Shabbos, and when I do this, I go into Shabbos, I have a, <laughs> I have a healthy appetite, uh, I sleep I sleep well, I wake up in the morning, I feel rejuvenated, so I would change, you know, if, if they're sort of doubting whether or not to, to continue down this path, I might suggest, you know, adopting a philosophy that this is this is a way to serve God, and it's it's a very very uh, it's a very high you know high way to serve God to really put you know health and spirituality together and, and sort of you know just be the best uh, best Jew we can be. And um, I really feel tennis can add to to our life as observant Jews. So you know, go guys, go and girls, keep going. Okay, amazing. Well, um, we wish you a lot of Hatzlacha uh, getting back into the pro world, and we look forward to uh, seeing wonderful updates from you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And thank you for joining us today, and thank you all for listening today. Uh, you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.